Welcome. You are listening to Nard Bites, a Dungeons and Dragons show where we discuss various topics about D&D and all other TTRPGs. Enter at your risk, but beware, things may get Welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard, and I'm kicking it to you with another nerd bite. In uh, this episode, uh, taking it from uh, Roleplay Rescue, a uh, topic came up a few weeks ago on his podcast uh, about Eisen's Vow. And Eisen's Vow is a very old school topic, but it kind of dabbles more into the uh, the philosophy of D&D rather than, you know, any specific topic in general. But I'll introduce the rest of the crew here for the Nard Bite. I've got Ryan, I've got Anthony, and I've got Jared in no particular order except for the one that I gave. Um, so with that, um, I, I just measured you guys by ear size. I pay very close attention to it. Correlations are interesting. But the thing is, uh eisen's vow to put it simply is well no hold on basically gets the smallest or smallest to biggest well that's the secret and that's why the correlation matters you know mm. who is look if i have to explain you know eisen's vow has <laughs> nothing to do with ear sizes i don't know right, why you're for, so for concerned everyone at me. home there's only one okay. of us who has our ears revealed so if you guess it right <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, Anthony's also the second one listed, so it doesn't tell us jack shit. Because Anthony's the only one with his ears showing, but he's also in the middle. So it's like, no matter what. Anywho, uh, Eisen's Vow, if that's what we're talking about. Should we just do an ears episode? Maybe there's a niche audience, I don't know. Anyway, Eisen's Vow is this interesting, weird beef that happened where Gary Gygax, in one of his zines that he had back in the day, had somebody write kind of like a comment, wrote him a letter about an article he wrote uh, about like the openness of D&D and how it's like this endless, open, sprawling game world. And the guy wrote back and was like, no, it's not. And Gygax got super fiery and was just like, that's bullshit. Who the fuck are you to question me? In a very Gygaxian sense, as we all know that grognards are very friendly. But anyway, the point is, is he elaborated and said, it's not as open simply because as soon as you introduce rule books, you put constraints on the universe. As soon as players understand the rules, you put constraints on their imagination. And by having them locked into the box known as the rule book, players are there for, you know, limited in what they're capable of doing and imagining. And so Eisen's vow was, you know, I, I, you know, I, I could be butchering a lot of this whole situation, but the story remains the same in, in, you know, spirit that basically Eisen's vow is not having players know the rules or the mechanics or the dice rolls or anything like that. And instead having them experience pure storyline and allowing them to not be, you know, hampered by any of the rules and all that jazz so i guess right off the bat does this inspire fear in anybody i don't i don't know how you guys feel about it because i know uh jared's dm'd i know anthony you've dm'd and i've dm'd ryan have you dm'd before nope so i mean do you think uh jared and anthony as dms do you think it'd be weird to kind of remove people from their rule books do you feel like that's cardinal sin or do you think that's like thought experiment interesting 
Uh, well, so for me, taking Eisen's vow is that would be a huge ask on the part of the DM, right? You would need to know the system better than pretty much anything else in the world. If you were willing to take it upon yourself to learn how every single character class, how every single monster works, how every single skill in a game system with skills works, which, you know, if you uh, literally have that amount of time and dedication, I'm sure that it's fine. But for me as a GM, you know, I run, I, I like running a bunch of different systems and I usually don't end up learning them all back to front. And I rely a lot on my players to help me by knowing how their characters work mechanically so that I don't have to. That's interesting. You know, I think about that in our podcast too, how often you guys pull out spells and feats and abilities and stuff that I like. I just, I can't know everybody's spell book. And especially when we're getting up there and starting to get a very diverse spell system. But yeah, what were you thinking, Jared? I'm pretty much on the same page as Anthony with that. Just like, and the way I DM, it's less preparation than most because most mm. of the campaigns I've done have been like pretty basic with just it a lot of things are just winged on the fly because it's where whatever the players are doing because i throw together games to like carry over between our other games we have <laughs> it's like oh we don't this we don't have anything going on all right here's a floater game we'll throw in there so we can play um Fair so enough. nothing's as prepared so yeah to just have me do everything would be not great Sure. So I guess from a logistic sense, it does seem kind of difficult for a, for a yeah. game master to have but, to take that on. But if a game master does have the time, it would, depending on the storyline and all that, it would definitely be something I'd be interested in trying to sure. play, not to run. Yeah, and it definitely <laughs> seems like a thing that's really reliant on something like AD&D where there isn't a skill system and the game relies a lot more on you and the players just being able to think through what's logically realistic, right? Like compared to something like 3.5, that's really skill heavy where every single skill is like defined and there are just certain classes that can do things that others simply can't, right? Uh, yeah. But, you know, if you're playing AD&D and the fighter wants to look for traps, as long as the fighter's saying how he's looking for traps, it's usually just a simple matter of deciding whether or not that's realistic. No, no roles or anything necessary. And if you really need to, you can use that 3D6 system where the success or failure is just based on what is the character's stat, and it's the same for everything. Sure, sure. Which feels like, you know, just any other system sort of home ruling, uh, house ruling there. But so, Ryan, I got a question for you then, because we talked about it more on the logistics of running the game side. But like, if I came to you and I said, hey, you know, it's October, it's time to get spooky. I came up with this game that's all based around like B movies and horror and I want you guys to play it. And you're like, okay, sick. That sounds like fun. And then, you know, you guys get together with me and you're like, okay, so how do we play? And I say, no, 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 don't worry about that. Just tell me what you want to do and I'll have it work out for you. And you just sat there kind of like, give me the play-by-play -play back. Like, do you feel like as a player, you'd be kind of like, I don't know, lost at sea, not having rule books or a character sheet and stuff? Or do you feel like you'd be almost more engaged because you wouldn't have like a cheat sheet you know what i mean i think specifically in that scenario i would be 
pretty okay with it just because that just means I don't have to bother learning the system or anything. I can just show up and be ready to play a character, especially something more grounded, like that's set in the real world. I mean, obviously not our real world because there are right, serial right, right. killers behind right, every adjacent. locked door. But yeah, but something like that, yeah, I could very easily find myself enjoying a game like that but the more fantasy you start adding to a setting the harder for me it becomes to inhabit the role of the character because i'm more removed from them and that entire world so i for me personally having a character sheet and knowing stats and numbers helps me understand and feel like become my role better or like role play better in the long run because I have an idea of what I'm capable of in this role I am trying to inhabit. You know what I mean? So I think this, the idea of the, the vow works would, I would be, like I said, very fine with doing it for stuff that's kind of more based in grounded reality. But the further we get from grounded reality, probably the harder time I would have actually getting into a role. Yeah. And I, I almost wonder if, you know, this is kind of like, uh, this is going to kind of go around a weird roundabout tangent to explain it, but you know, there was a philosopher from Germany in the turn of the century who had this whole discussion about how it's hard to imagine, you know, Cartesian logic following, I think, therefore I am. And what's interesting is thinking like outside of your own perspective is impossible because even our language is derived from the concept, the concept of our perspective. So the way I want to say this is like, it's, it's almost as if because we all learned how to play with our rule books and nobody ever just like said, no, 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 Ryan, for your very first game of any RPG, your whole experience in this world, don't touch a rule book because nobody did that for you and you were always kind of given a rule book, I almost wonder if it's like impossible for us to even conceptualize what it would be like to play and like suggest casting a spell without that feeling of like, well, you know, a spell has to have constraints and I want to know those constraints so I know what I can possibly do. Like it's, right. it's I think about like 3.5 and how being raised in a system with a library of skills and then moving to like fourth edition and seeing that skill list get sledged into a third or fifth edition where it's like the same skill list as fourth where it's like what do you mean move silently and and hide or in the same skill like they're two different things you know it's like i can't as a 3.5 player like i've been so used to looking at a sheet and knowing my options were a very specific list of skills that moving to anything else just felt so alien and weird to me that i'm like I don't know. I almost think it's just because I was raised in in 3.5 that that's why I have that initial like knee jerk response. And I wonder if, do you think because you were raised with rule books, you know, per se, that that's the reason why you feel like you would need that to play an alien game with a lot more imagination? It's weird when you think of it that way, because, you know, not to cut you off before we spoke, but like, a game that requires more imagination by being farther away from your own experience would require more constraints and rules in order to feel grounded, which makes sense. But it's weird to think the more imagination you need to use, the less you're allowed to be imaginative with how you execute. You know what I'm saying? Right. Cause I, I think like otherwise it, it 
you, you almost feel detached from the setting and the world in like a weird way if there aren't any anything to ground you there and the way I sort of do that is through what my characters are capable of and stuff like that. For sure. It, it's, it's like the difference between reading like a very heavy, like low fantasy novel and just having a wild dream. Like it's, neither of them are real, but one of them is much more tactilely real and will follow what you can expect from like a story. And the other one, you sort of, it's so floaty and ethereal that it's, it's, it's tough to like grasp where you actually are in it. I guess. Yeah. It's like choice I, paralysis I in a way. Part of it. Cause for it's me like, too is, with, oh, sorry. Uh, well, part of it for me too is like, uh, because I have like ADHD, it's just like, when I don't have any kind of box or way to base things around, it becomes very difficult for me to find any kind of center. I'm, I'm not particularly good at centering myself. So trying to do that even in uh, make-believe can be difficult. You know what I mean? Mm. No, I do. Again, like what I was trying to say earlier when I was trying to cut you off endlessly there, um, I, it almost reminds me of like a choice paralysis that when the possibilities are endless, it's like you can't make one decision because like, where do you even begin? Like, where does one even start? And because there's so many possibilities, like if they say, okay, you're a wizard, cast a spell. I mean, like, what am I? how do I even like begin this? Do I cast a spell of light? Do I cast a spell of destroying all life on earth? Like what, what the fuck am I able to do? What does it look like? How does it happen? Blah, blah, blah. But you know, so I guess, you know, the next question I have, and this is kind of a separation from what we were talking about, but this is sort of the flip side of the, the Eisen's vow discussion is the role of dice and the role of rules and like what that actually means to a game like this, because Obviously, it's important for us to have rules, as we just explained, to help, you know, ground us and help us feel kind of, you know, a place in the world. But like, why is it that, I don't know, like if your DM rolled all the dice for you, I would feel weird doing that for people just because I would assume other people would be like, yeah, but that's my job. Because it's like, as a player, you really don't have tons that you do beyond just saying what you do. So like, there's no engagement beyond just sitting there listening and talking. So I guess... If you rob the players of the dice rolling, like, why is it that that's such, like, a wounding blow, you know? Does it matter that much to just roll dice? What do you guys think? I mean, there are other systems where you roll dice a lot less than D&D that work pretty well. Sure, but you know Um, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, but... Like I said earlier, it depends on the style of gameplay, Role play heavy, I would perfectly be fine with it, but it, yeah, combat heavy, I I like the feeling of rolling the dice, and would like mm. to roll the dice for that. And if I don't have that, like, I guess it's not the end of the world. It just, I don't know, you feel like a disconnect <laughs> from your character. 
Which is weird to think like the umbilical cord to your character is plastic <laughs> dice, which when you think about like a storytelling game, dice are so weirdly not a proper fit. Because you think like in a world where characters know their skills and have capacities that they've trained their whole life, why would a die like this random factor play so much of, I don't know, it just feels like such a an alien thing when you really break that relationship down, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting to think, though, in a storyline-heavy game, a really RP-heavy game, dice aren't that important, and it doesn't matter that much. But then when it's a combat-heavy one with a bunch of like rules at play, now, does this mean that that kind of game almost feels more like a board game and less of a TTRPG? Like, it's a tabletop role-playing game, and then there's the board game, you know? Like, is it D&D combat, the board game aspect of the game, where it's tactics and randomness and stuff whereas rping is its own aspect what do you I think mean, anthony oh never mind yeah go for it <laughs> i was just gonna say for me personally like the dice rolling is essentially just like in most tabletop games like just a very low stakes form of uh gambling and who like people like to gamble they like to try their luck and take chances and stuff so when are you, you trying to cancel D? so when you don't like give that chance gambling people, it, it kind of like it just weakens the overall experience and as jared bouncing kind of off what jared said with combat like the gambles you take in D generally are fairly low stakes except in combat where there is a very real chance of character death which is sort of you know, you going, you know, fucking broke from gambling. And so I, I, I think taking the dice rolls away from that really feels like, well, it's, you didn't let me decide my character's fate. Like, I know that it came down to dice rolls and it doesn't really matter who rolled them, but like, it's my character. So I should be the one rolling for his like actual fate. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I get I get the feeling you're getting at. And I know as soon as you said that thing about how, like, when you're in combat, the die rolls feel more, like, imminent of death. But, like, I mean, obviously, if we were trying to jump across a chasm, it seems pretty direct. If you fumble on, the, you know, your, your jump there, you, you might be very close to death very quickly. But it almost feels like dice rolls outside of combat are less of, like... I don't know. They, they progress story. They don't progress a combat. You know what I mean? Where like jumping across a chasm feels more like describing how a story progresses forward. Whereas swinging my axe feels like we took one verb of like, you know, I don't know. Dan's character fought orcs. We take that whole action and broke it into like little microcosmic steps of like a whole combat being broken to a step-by-step. -step. Whereas like, I don't know if I'm jumping across a chasm, like that, I don't know. It, do you kind of get what I'm getting at? Where it's like, it feels like it feels more directly linked to death, but that's just because it's the most direct way that we see health being drained and dropped and the most typical place we see it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it definitely, it, it points well in the direction of the whole, the combat side of D and D is more of a board game because you are very much zooming in on the, grand map of your character's story for one specific instance where in six second increments you're deciding what they do whereas other times you can go hours or days or weeks in game without ever having to make an actual role to do anything else so sure. yeah it, it very much there's a 
switch that gets flipped that sort of goes from storytelling to or like role playing down to board game and yeah well you know another way you could put it is almost like those roles outside of combat are when the dm says what happens to you and in combat is when your character says what they're doing so it's almost like the stakes shift from being like your quality of action versus like i don't know how well you did you know what i'm saying like it it almost feels like i don't know it becomes less of a game of who's describing what like in combat feels more like the players describe their actions and thus the dice should belong to them. But when the DM's describing what happens to you, it feels like the dice could belong to them and it wouldn't change the flow. You know what I mean? Like trying to lie to somebody, like it almost feels like the DM could roll an insight check rather than you rolling a deception check and you wouldn't, it wouldn't feel wrong. But if I rolled a defense check instead of you rolling an attack, it would feel weird. You know what I mean? Imagine if right. if instead of rolling attack rolls, we just had defense rolls instead. Like that'd be f- kind of weird because it's almost like the impetus of actions comes from like players onto creatures. But like imagine a world where we roll defense rolls instead. <laughs> like yeah, that's where, freaky. Where the attacks are assumed and you're right. Yeah. That's yeah, it would definitely weird. it would definitely spin the entire board game combat aspect of the system in a completely different way i mean it definitely feels like that's a much more bloodthirsty system even the idea that like you don't roll to see if you like an attack you roll to see if you don't get stabbed like that's kind of a weird way to put it but i almost feel like if we were having rolls to see if we don't get stabbed it almost feels like that kind of belongs more to the dungeon master instead too because it feels like again it's not your action of defense it's your action of attack and it feels like it's your i don't know like almost like described defense rather than your your enacted defense. You know what I mean? Like it feels mm. like that's how the DM would describe like, oh, well, you lift your shield at the right time to block it rather than you say like, I lift my shield and block it. Like it feels like I would describe the blocking, but I don't know. I don't know. It, it's weird to think about D- D&D as sort of being broken into that like weird, I don't want to say dichotomy because that feels strange to put it there, but like this idea of like, the described larger paintbrush kind of descriptive gameplay where the DM's describing bigger scenes in simpler roles. And then you have combat, which gets broken into like microcosmic sub steps, you know, and it belongs to the players, but I don't know. What do you think, Anthony? Uh, well, I was going to say the, basically the same thing as Ryan about how the player rolling the die uh, lets you sort of take more like command of your character's decisions and sort of makes sure. the player responsible for them. Yeah, uh, like agency. A few minutes to sit around and think about it. I actually don't think D&D does a very good job of that uh, <laughs> when compared to other much more skill heavy systems like Call of Cthulhu or Cyberpunk 2020, where the point of the game is the skills. Right. And, you know, you've made like these really hard decisions about where to invest your skills and how much and to what degree in those games. And I think that there are specific like rules sections of both of those games that say the description precedes the role every time. Right. A player doesn't ask, um, can I roll this skill in either of those games? The player uh, the player says, I'm doing this in this way. And then the game master calls for an appropriate check. And hmm. so that means that, you know, they get to role play it out a lot more. And they've sort of like 
in a front-loaded way, had much more of a decision about how it's going to play out. And in Cyberpunk, specifically, what's interesting about it is it's more a game of taking penalties to do cooler things uh, rather than just trying to succeed. Because success is boring in Cyberpunk, uh, right? What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to stack penalties on yourself uh, to see if you can do something that's even cooler. So it's like what we said before that rolling your own dice uh, lets you take control of your character's actions, but like pumped up even more. Sure. Ryan, you uh, were you going to say something about that? No, no, I was just thinking that it, it is interesting. The idea of instead of, I mean, even sometimes... In D and D, it feels a bit weird when someone just asks to make a skill check without sort of saying what their intentions are for it, mm. and so stuff like that can be weird. I will say, um, in one of the games I'm playing on a virtual tabletop, there are times where outside of combat, uh, the DM will have us make rolls when interacting with NPCs in the world. Uh, but we won't know the result of it. He'll just tell us what happens based on what we got on the roll. And that is kind of interesting as well, because like we technically, I mean, I technically did roll the die, but I have no idea what happens after that. I don't see the result or know if I succeeded or failed. I just get the description. It's usually using like social stuff where you're trying to bluff or insight on someone and stuff like that where like instead of getting seeing the hard number and having an expectation of what the outcome should be you just get the outcome and have to sort of make judgment calls on your own based that way it's good because then if you roll low on an insight check and the dm says yeah that's what he's saying what the person is saying sounds reasonable you have no way of knowing you know, well, you can't meta it essentially. And I think mm-hmm. that in a way, there are times that that is more important than player control because it, yeah. it does make it much more immersive and forces you to really inhabit the character in a way. That's exactly what I was going to say because it forces you to stop looking at things as binary success and failure and instead the gray area of actually having to like, I mean, it's like an, an activity in any day life where like, I don't know, you're at the office, you cut a joke to your friend and your friend gives you like a half laugh. You're like, did they think it was funny? And like, I, I just, I don't know, I'm mistaking this or did they think it was like annoying and they want me to leave? And you're like, I, I uh, uh, and I'm like a game, a good role playing game should feel kind of like, I don't know, I don't want to say like tactical, but if the DM provides you with like minimal information, I don't know, it should feel like, I don't know, not that you just get insta success and everything unlocks and opens. It's like, I don't know, you rolled good on your bluff and it seems like this, but I don't know, maybe they're double bluffing you and they're like, oh yeah, you're the new king's bodyguard. Oh, right. I remember hearing about you. Come over here real quick. You know what I mean? And you right, have to play exactly. that game of like, oh, yeah. And so, yeah. And I think that's why, like, again, if I was the only one rolling it, it's because it's more immersive. It's less about your agency and more about like DMs telling you what happens rather than you, than you telling me what you do. So I don't know. I mean, Jared, did you have any last thoughts on this? I mean, we've seen it with like 
Jarzak and stuff sometimes where just uh, the DMs are you just say what happens. I mean, I, I don't roll anything during those moments because Jar uh, those back in the earlier days, Jarzak just all control would go over to the deceiver. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like just because I railroad doesn't mean you gotta bring it up in a nard bite, okay? I wouldn't call that railroading so much. Like those part of my character is that I align myself with someone really bad. <laughs> well, I'm glad you yeah. wouldn't call it railroading. But I guess so the last question I've got for everybody is uh, would you take Eisen's vow? Would you run a game and forcibly make sure none of your players knew the rules so that you could run it at them and have them enjoy a purely immersive gaming experience? Or do you feel like that's just not a good idea? Too much work. <laughs> I plead the lazy. So unlike Ryan, Ryan with his ADHD, I have ADD, you know, dropping that hyper off uh, where <laughs> that's why I just mostly wing things in my campaigns because it is easier for me to come up with something on the fly and RP it than it is for me to pre-build stuff. So I, that would not be a good way, way for me to run a game. <laughs> really? So you think it wouldn't be good to have everybody not know the rules? You could just wing shit left and right. Uh, you could wing the whole system. They wouldn't you, even fucking know. Because the DM needs to have a... You need to have a baseline as the DM or else it's just going to be bad. <laughs> Limitations right, well, are a good that. thing. Knowing what's possible is good. Yeah, right. I mean, if, if I was running a game <laughs> for people who I'd never played before. Yeah, I, I think I would. But the more intimate a person is with the system, the harder it would be as a player to make that vow, I think. Because yeah, it's, almost... it, like oh, on either yeah. you're going to know exactly what's going on and so it doesn't really matter or you're going to know just too little and it's going to be extremely frustrating because you know enough to know there's things you could be doing, but you not what they are. And I, mm. I think like, so there, there's sort of like, you know, one of those valleys on a graph where there's points where the system would work. And I think it would be for very fresh players or players who really, and a DM who really knows the system in and out and can, sort of pull something like this off but like that in between where either your dm isn't fully able to hold the whole system on their back or the players know enough about the system that taking the control away from them isn't great for them right i, I yeah it does almost feel i don't want to say like immoral or abusive to to train new players in such a weird sense where you take the wheel because, like, I don't know, if somebody read the rule book and said, eh, this game's whack, I don't want to play it. But you had to sit them through an entire campaign of, like, D&D &D according to Dan for them to learn how they feel about it. It almost feels like you're kind of robbing somebody of that, like, I don't know, first scoop of peanut butter out the jar. You know what I mean? Like, it, like they don't have the opportunity to embrace it, like, with virgin eyes and read it as it's supposed to be read. You know what I mean? And it almost just feels like you're kind of, I don't know, potentially robbing somebody of... I don't know their true opinion on it, but I don't know. I mean, I th I think a good opportunity for you, Dan, would be to run this in your new uh, 
system you're building of defensive D&D. <laughs> I mean, that that's always been a rule in the game. They said to freshen up combat, which I think just translates to like, hey, you want to make combat take one extra step longer? Is you just summarize your attack bonus, which would be your, you know, 10 plus whatever that plus whatever is what you roll into d20 every turn versus an attack roll so your armor class could be an 18 you know from the get-go and then it could vary then from being either a 9 or a 28 and i'm like there's so much weird variability there they're like how do you what does that even do to a system but i don't know it, it would be kind of interesting to play weirdly just reactive DD strictly only roll defense rolls yeah, I think what but, we need to do is we need to play it like uh, Warhammer, where you roll to see if you hit, and then you roll to see if you do damage, and then they roll the dodge. <laughs> so you know, so yeah, a fistful of dice uh, turns into three actual wounds. I think we need to do it that way. Yeah, yeah. Just we'll make Dan run this, so he has to roll extra dice all the time for everything. Good luck. I mean, that. that's the that's the real abuse of Eisen's vow, isn't it? Hand a player sixty four fucking d sixes, and then they roll, and they're like, "Oh, well, I got to take these out for this penalty." And then you roll like thirty two, and you're like, "Well, I also got to take this." And then they end up with like five, and you're like, "Well, now for me to roll my defenses." Like that's the real robbery. Them just like getting a handful of opportunities, and you give them like, "Well, you got a whole one wound. Way to go, bud." How did I go from sixty four to one? Why don't we just cut through this giant pile of me? Having Having to count dice but yeah i mean honestly i think i could take eisen's vow i think it would have to be with the right group of people it would have to be like a campfire game it would have to be a game that's very low stakes very story driven that people can feel very invested in but that would involve them also knowing the world super duper well you know what i mean and everybody would have to know their characters super duper well and i i just feel like it's weird to imagine having that investment and description at level one on your first game. Like if our game, if, you know, Herald of Steel was all of a sudden rendered ruleless and diceless to you guys and I took over everything, I feel like it would be way easier for us to handle that because you would all know your characters well. You would know, generally speaking, what they do. And I almost feel like it would be cooler to see like, I don't know what would Jarzak look like with five levels in a system that he doesn't understand. Like what would, there would be no limitations. You know what I mean? Or like, I don't know what would Kalika's spells look like if there was no actual assigned spell book to her. And instead I said like, what kind of spells would you want to know? Like it's almost freeing in a sense to think that your character concept can go so organically as it has to, rather than be like, Oh, it's level seven. Here's X, Y, Z that I unlock. And that's why I'm like, it's just so specific that I couldn't think of a time that I could do it, but I would do it if that time arose. So I think, I mean, that's as good enough a spot for me to end it. If anybody's got any final words, anything from anybody? Just do an episode dabbing your toe into it. You roll all the dice that episode. I, I don't know, man. That sounds like <laughs> I don't know pressure. either. <laughs> I mean, when I kill somebody, everybody's yeah, if, if anyone upset. dies, like that's good campaign guys yeah it's gonna be the retirement episode where i'm like oh jarzak is playing chess with that wizard on the stump again <laughs> he totally did good Always. oh he's also fishing oh, he caught a big one like all these nonsensical non-important roles but but yeah ryan did you have anything to say 
Uh, no, I mean, I think we sort of covered all the ground here. Um, yeah. I, I, I would approach taking that vow with a great amount of trepidation. I, I mean, yeah. it, it really is a, a lot of trust to put in to your DM. And I just don't know if, if I'm not going to name any names, but just don't know if the people I'm playing with currently could handle it. So, you, uh, what are you trying to say? What are, what are you trying to say? What do you think I'm trying right, to say? Right. I know I can't run a game like that. I already <laughs> said it. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, on that backhanded comment, I guess it's time to let this go, shall we? All right. Well, goodbye. Hey, everybody. It's the Young Grognard here. I want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you have anything you'd like to tell me, any questions or concerns, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter or send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. As always, keep it real, and more importantly, keep it dangerous. Thanks. <laughs>